this week, I, um, I, over the last few years, really, I've acquired a taste for history. And so documentaries about World War One, World War Two, communism, Nazi stuff, all of that kind of history really intrigues me. So or I've listened to audiobooks. I get, yeah, the doc, all these documentaries I just consumed by that. And I found a podcast this week, and Shalini's going to put a picture up here. So we can see there that's Joe Biden and then old mate from Russia, um, Putin. And it says here, The Cold War, that's a podcast, it's, and the, the subtitle is The Prelude to the Present. And so I found this podcast this week, I'm like, hmm, this is a really interesting podcast. And then the, the, one of the episodes I heard, because I was doing a bit of a uh, binge listen to, uh, had this interview with a guy I had never heard about, Peter Robinson. I'm sure you're all, you're all well aware of Peter Robinson. But what was really interesting is then he, they started to talk about this, this, this statement that has been... I've heard a statement that he's responsible for many times, but never realised he was a man that wrote this quote, which is on the next screen... Ronald Reagan finds himself in the country of Germany, in, uh, in Berlin. And obviously, for those that understand history, Berlin was split in half because that's where the two allied armies came together. You had the Soviets rush on the one side. You had the, the uh, France, Britain and America come in through the other side. And then after the war, they split the city in half and built a wall. And so then Ronald Reagan, the president of America, in, on June 12, 1987, declares these words, Mr. Bergachev, tear down this wall. But R Ronald Reagan never wrote that quote. This, the other guy, the speechwriter, wrote the quote for him. And I was like, wow, so interesting. And the, in the interview, they were, they were discussing the things of how everyone else within the the presidential council saying, he can't say that, he shouldn't say that. Then once he spoke and it blew up, they're like, oh, yes, we always knew that that was a great idea. And it's just funny, I just found that really interesting. And then I was then pondering so many other political statements that have happened in time. And a typical one is Martin Luther King Jr., where he declares, I want my kids to be judged by the character of their heart, not the colour of their skin. And then, and then it got me thinking about the Bible, and my Bible is full of statements. It's full of powerful declarations. The one like the most famous ones in the book of Esther, when Mordecai says to her, when the Jews are in danger of being exterminated, perhaps God made you queen for such a time as this. What a powerful declaration. Another powerful one in a similar position is that there's these, these th three guys in Babylon, and they refuse to bow down to the king. And then the king says, why aren't you doing what I'm telling you to do? And then they, I love the statement. They go, our God will protect us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to bow down to you. What a powerful declaration. And in 1 Samuel 17, there's another declaration made, which I think is amazing, which I want us to focus in on this morning. And so 1 Samuel 17, for those that have been to church before, would be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. The Israelites versus the Philistines. And in, in this time, so David is, is doing this job for his father, delivering some cheese to his brothers, giving the, a report back, and he hears this giant morning and night just opening his mouth, saying all this rubbish. And then so then David starts to inquire to the people around him and, and declares this. In 1 Samuel 17, he declares, verse 26, 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now we're going to break this down a little bit and I want to describe it like this. Um, first of all, if you've got a Bible, our Bible is split into two, two categories. We've got the Old Testament and we've got the New Testament. Now what does testament mean? It's a, another word for covenant. Now, I, never, I don't talk to people in society and go, oh, how good's the covenant? We talk about these word promises. My dad promised me this. When I moved to Port Lincoln, I came on a false promise. The <laughs> promise was that when you come to Port Lincoln, you're never going to have to catch a school bus. And at the time was true. There's no school bus service. <laughs> how blessed was I? I moved here and the school bus service came to where I lived. That was a broken promise. But in our society, we live in promises. And so David understood the promise that he was under. He understood the covenant that he was under. So our Bible is split up into these two covenants where this was the old promise and now we got a new, better promise. And then with that, the scripture is full of parallels. And so this is, there'll be a parallel here and then it will, and it will, it's a picture pointing to the new covenant. It's a, there's a parallel in the Old Testament which points to a greater uh, parallel in the New Testament. And so then to talk about this covenant, there's a guy called Abraham. And so Abraham has this promise with God. He has this covenant with God, this testament with God that says, this land of Canaan, I'm going to call you out from where you're living. You're going to go to this land and that's going to be for you and your descendants forever. And the the, the, the signature, the, the dotted line of which is to prove that this is going to be your land and your descendants, I'm going to put a mark on you. I'm going to um, have a, a separate, your, you and your descendants will be separated by a mark, which was circumcision, that say, this land belongs to you. That is how you're going to be different. In, like, in our society, we talk about circumcision, we think it's a medical procedure. In, for Abraham and his descendants, that was a, a covenant promise between them and God. And so then it's interesting then, because then obviously David goes, I'm marked, I'm separated, I'm different from the Philistines. I carry a mark. I carry a, a, a my, my body is physically altered to the Philistines because I'm, I have a promise. Now, what is this promise? And then we look at Exodus and we see these crazy situations where God, because it's interesting, Joseph says to the Israelites, he says, take my bones back with you. When I'm dead, I'm, I'm just bones. Take my bones back with you. Why? Because Joseph understood the promise. He understood the covenant. Now, the Israelites were promised by Abraham, this land of Canaan, and they found themselves now in Egypt. But Joseph knew Egypt's not our promise. Our, with, our promise is the land of Canaan. So then, what, then we read all these crazy things in Exodus where there's plagues and there's water becomes blood and there's flies and there's this and there's that. But why does God perform all those miracles? Because he's a God of his promise. He's a God of the covenant. He didn't just do it just to show off. He did it because, no, I've got to get my people back to where they belong because I've promised them this land. Then we see them, they get to the Red Sea. What does God do? He splits the sea. Not because he wants to show off, because he's a God of the covenant. He's a God of his promise. Does that make sense? So then we get to now Samuel 17, and then David is saying to his fellow Israelites, what's this Goliath talking about? He's not just fighting me. He's not just fighting my nation. He's actually fighting against the promise of my God. Because David understood the covenant and the promise made to him. So then when we get to the old we get to the, the Old Testament, though, we understand for the Jews, circumcision was the sign or the mark of their promise, 
But now in the New Testament, as Christians, as believers in God, we have a new sign which is called baptism. And so baptism is the mark of the believer for the covenant and the promises that we now live in. Which takes us now to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. says this, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. A lot of translations will refer to this as the flesh. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. I love that. That is such a powerful picture of the the covenant that we live in, the promise that God has made to us, that we don't just die to our flesh, we don't just put away our sinful nature, but we rise again to new life with the Lord. And so, as I mentioned, the Old Testament circumcision was a mark that showed that the Jews belonged to God. Now, for us in the New Covenant, reading the New Testament, baptism is a sign that the Christian belongs to God. And so, I want to talk this morning on the biblical lens of baptism. The biblical lens of baptism. And so we get to then Mark 1.4 and it says this, John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptised to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And the NIV says that preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so, well, what is baptism practically speaking? It's, it's getting fully immersed in water. That is the practical sense of baptism. The spiritual sense of baptism is an outward expression of an inward work. Because that's what repentance is. You're going, we, we, as our beautifully described when we shared communion, that we understand that we're this broken down vehicle. And then we go, you know what, we're going to go through this procedure where we get baptised and we come up alive brand new. That old broken down me is, is gone. What comes out is the, the, the spirit man, which is brand new, got the powerful engine, ready to rock and roll. And so that is what we're talking about. Then we get down to Romans and 6, um, verses 3 to 6. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we, were joined, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives because we are no longer slaves to sin. I love that that sin no longer can have power in our lives and that is we're no longer saved to sin but we can live victoriously over it. And often when it comes to God, we can have this opinion of going, we can read scriptures and go, I like that. Oh, yes, I'll take this. Yes, I'll, I'll have some of that. But I don't know about this one. I don't know about that one. But that's not how it works. We don't go, well, I'm going to bury this part of my life. No, the whole, when we get baptized, it's saying from this day forward, everything is, they often you hear the quote, if, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. So when we go through baptism, we're saying every part of my life, every spoke of the wheel is submitted to you, Lord. I open my my life open-handedly. And God, if you want it to change, it changes. Every part of my flesh nature is gone. I'm not going to hold on to, oh, well, you know what, God, you take my greed, but I want to keep my lust. God, you take my envy, but I'll keep the anger. 
No, every part of the flesh nature is buried and crucified and we come alive with the freshness of the Lord. 1 Samuel 15, 22, it's Pastor Jimmy's, one of his favourite scripture verses, and it talks about this obedience is better than sacrifice. And the context of this scripture is, is King Saul gets a direct command from God, go and do this and do it this way. But then Saul goes, well, I've got a better idea. Great idea, great idea, Lord, but I'm going to change it because I think my plan's better. And then he gets severely reprimanded and the kingdom is like thrown out because God says, no, obedience is better than sacrifice. It, the Christianity walk isn't, we tell God what a better plan is. Oh, that's a good suggestion. No, we got to die to our old life. Saul had to die and say, no, I'm being obedient and listening to what the Lord has purposed for me. And so that is the purpose of why we get baptized, because we're saying, God, we lose control. We're let, letting go of the reins and letting you lead every aspect of our life. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, we see the fruits of the Spirit, and it talks about the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, all those things. And previous, it lists a list of all the sins, the sinful natures, and it's just a, a, of what they are. And so you've got to read Galatians 5 and go, you know what? And I'll, I'll read some of them to you right now. Galatians 5 says, what have we got here? Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. And you can read them all for yourself. These are the things when we get baptised, they are dead. That was jo angry Josh, he's dead. Jealous Josh, he's dead. Quarreling Josh, he's dead. We've got to remind ourselves if we've been baptised, that has been crucified, that flesh nature is not my guide. The spirit within inside me is now what I, 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 I push into. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. 1 John 4.4, he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. And we've got to get a hold of that. When we get baptized, we're living by a greater power. We're living by a greater spirit. No longer are we bound by, the, by our sinful nature. We are now propelled by the spirit nature. And that's how we live as believers. And so as Christians, it's not about this, this comfortability of going, yeah, we'll take the parts that we want. No, it's because it, it, the Christian faith isn't modification. The Christian faith is about full transformation. When we go through baptism, it's not yet we're fixing the broken. No, it's a placement of the old. It's not just a few edits. We'll edit this, we'll edit that. No, it's a, we're, we're starting afresh. It's a brand new start. That is the Christian faith we get from baptism. So when we get baptized, we're dying to ourselves and we're coming alive with Christ's power, which is fantastic. So in the Old Testament, the Jews had a physical cutting away of the flesh. In the New Testament, the believer has a spiritual cutting away of the flesh. And it's not just a cutting away. It's a full crucifixion, burial. We're not visiting. That's the only tomb we don't visit. That's dead. We leave that behind in Jesus' name. So then we get to Matthew 28, 19. And it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes I wish that said, go and find some disciples and baptize them. But it doesn't. It says, go and make disciples. And it's not an easy process of finding some random and taking them on a journey from knowing Jesus. It, it, it's not, and, but that's why Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness. Why? Because God will give us what we need to make disciples. That people can go on a journey of going, I know God and I want to be baptized. Then Mark 16.16 16 says, 
Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Now, we'll, I'll just touch on that second sentence. It's, very, it's not a very nice subject, but the truth is, as believers, there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to righteousness before the Father, and that's the death of Jesus. And we don't believe that there's that, that way or that this way I can be good. Our goodness doesn't mean anything. Jesus is the only way. But then the beauty of that, though, is when we come into this thing of repentance and we believe in the Lord, we will be saved. And that's the thing. So we could, we, people can read a scripture like that, Mark 16, 16. Anyone who's baptized will be saved. And that's why you see some movements of churches that will baptize infants. But the, the baptism itself, the spiritual ritual, means nothing. The power only comes when we have been born again and repented. That's where the power of the, the baptism takes place. Otherwise, you've just had a bath. If you just go through some ritual and have a bath and get fully wet, fantastic. You'll, hopefully you got clean. But it means nothing on the ter- eternal significance. The believing part, those that believe, the believing part means you've repented. What is a repentance? It's saying it's not just acknowledging that you're a sinner, which it is, and having sh- some form of shame and guilt attached. But it's going, no, no, I, this is how I was, but I'm committing to changing. I'm committing, I'm putting, I want to put away that old nature and put on the new nature. I'm getting rid of those old clothes and putting on the new clothes that Christ died for me to have that I can live in his holiness and his righteousness. That is the purpose of baptism. It's going, we repent, we believe, Lord, you are my way, and I'm going to die and rise again to something new. So, and this is, this is the truth of the matter. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not baptised, you're living in a lie. I've got to tell that truth. If you want to, if you want to be a believer in Christ... The scripture is so clear. To be a disciple, to be a follower of him, you need to be baptized. That, that's, and that's where it's at. And I, I was talking to someone this morning, they, and they, we're going to be having a baptism service very soon because someone this morning will want to get baptized, which is very exciting. And that's the thing we want to do. But if we want to be a follower of Christ, we've got to be baptized because it's a public declaration of our repentance and saying we're dying, we're having our, our, our flesh funeral to have the born again, life, spirit, awakened. Acts 2.41. So when do we get baptized? It says this. Those who believed uh, what Peter said were baptized and added to that church. A mere 3,000. So, so crazy. On the day of Pentecost, we see the Spirit of God poured out. Miracles and wonders are happening. And then all these Jews are intrigued by what's happening. 3,000 Jews, well, there could have been more, but 3,000 of these Jews decided, I believe what they've said. And what was their first step in believing? They got baptized. And so when do we get baptized? When we believe. And so uh, you're going to see a picture on the screen here of um, one of the saddest movies, scenes imaginable. And so up there, you've got the Lion King when Mufasa dies. This is probably... This, I don't know how we can exactly uh, weigh them, but I think this scene causes just as much trauma as the kid, which I'm going to talk about. But it's interesting. So uh, when we get baptized, though, so in the Old Testament, circumcision said we're separated unto God. In the New Testament, we get baptized. It now says we are separated unto God. And so Andy owned Woody because his name was on the shoe, right? And then in Toy Story 2... Woody finds himself broken and battered and got his little puffy stuff poking out. So a guy comes in and starts stitching him back together. 
and then paints over the Andy sign. And as a kid, you're like, no, but Woody's Andy. He belongs to Andy. Now his mark of identification is missing. But the, the crazy thing is, though, in the same way, that is what baptism is for us. That name Andy on Woody's shoe said he belongs to Andy. When we get baptised, it says we belong to God. We belong to the church. We are now part of a bigger family. And that's why we get baptised, to say, I belong to him. I belong to the church. And so just as those 3,000 were baptised and became part of the church, when you come, being part of a church isn't attending a service on a Sunday or going to a life group. When you get baptised, that is the day when you've officially a part of the church. So that's why we get that's why we get baptised to belong to God. So then, when do we get baptised? So here's it. I I was invited to Pastor Rob and Pauline's house for dinner a few weeks ago, and they had some other visitors there. And this person asked Pastor Rob, he goes, "How many? What generation Christian are you? How many generations has your family been Christian?" And Pastor Rob wasn't trying to be a smartass, but he goes, "I just don't like that." that question because he believes every believer is first generation Christian and he goes so yes my mother was saved but I had he had to come to his own repentance where he goes you know what I believe this for me it's not just you can't just hand it down it's got to have the born again experience so when when we when do we get baptized it's when we've been born again which is when we've We've come to that revelation of we need to repent, and when we get born, and that's what being born again is. Where we go, no longer is the old nature ruling me; it's the new nature ruling me. Because then it's interesting with the Jews in the Old Testament, it would say on the eighth day they would be circumcised. On the eighth day they would get the mark. So they did it as soon as possible. There's another crazy story in the Bible in the book of Esther. It says that the, uh, it went from being the Jews going to be exterminated to then the Jews had full control, basically. And it said many people were so fearful, they themselves became Jews. They marked themselves because they didn't want to, f- to have the, the, the anger, I guess, towards them in that coming days, which is really interesting. But so what did... We see from the Old Testament, if you want the mark of God, you do it early, you do it quickly. And we're going to see in the New Testament, the same principle applies. When you get baptised, you do it early, you do it quickly. Um, Acts 2.41 again, those who believe what Peter said were baptised and added to that church that day. They got baptised that day. Then we get to Philip and the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian, they they refer to him as the eunuch. And so he's a treasure of Ethiopia. He goes to Jerusalem to worship God in Jerusalem. And he's on his way back. And so in Acts 2, sorry, Acts 8, sorry, verse 28, Philip encounters him. And it says this. And so as this, this Ethiopian was now returning back to Ethiopia, seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to him, go over to Peter, uh, sorry to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah and Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me what this prophet's talking about, himself or someone else. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Obviously that he was referring about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. This is amazing, because I think sometimes we get this thing of sharing our faith, and we talk about, you know, surrendering our lives to Jesus. But clearly, 
Philip is saying here, yes, we surrender our lives to Jesus, but the way that we do that is through the waters of baptism. He made it very clear. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we, make, we get baptized to confirm the inward heart change. Then we get to, in the, book of, in the chapter 9 of Acts, it's Paul's conversion, where Paul's going, these Christians are corrupting the Jewish faith. I'm going to put an end to this. And, but then we get to then chapter 22, and Paul re-accounts this, what happens in Acts 9. And he says, I was blinded by the intense light, which was God shining down on him, and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, uh, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be a, uh, his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And so we see here when it comes to the New Testament perspective, we see that day, that hour, immediately, get up, what are you waiting for? Oh, sorry, and I missed one. We'll go back to that. Sorry, we'll go to this. Acts 16, 25, 31. Shalini probably is like, skipped it for me. But this is, this, this is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. Uh, well, obviously, you see that same Paul who we just spoke about finds himself in prison, worshipping, and says in uh, verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains on every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And we've got to put ourselves in that guy's shoes where there's these guys who have been bashed, beaten, chained up, and yet they're, they're singing, And the angel... They're, they're, they're singing this song unto God and then out of nowhere this massive earthquake happens it, and then he's gone whoever you're worshipping this must be real whatever, whatever you're believing in there must be truth to this and I want in if, this, if your worship caused this prison to shake and then you didn't run away let me know what, what must happen so then we go, we go back into the story then they replied Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Now that makes sense. We see, when do you get baptized? That day, that hour, it was immediately. And then for Paul again, he, they said, get up, what are you waiting for? And so if you would say that you, you've encountered the message of Jesus and you're not being baptized, I want to ask you this morning, what are you waiting for? Because that is a sign of the promise. That is a sign of the covenant. Ephesians 3.20 says, uh, you can do exceedingly abundantly, God can do that in you 
those who believe than you can even think or imagine. That's a promise that we get when we get baptized. That we're saying God can do things exceedingly abundantly, but we access those promises of that exceedingly abundantly when we get baptized and we come into agreement with the promises that we have in the New Testament. When we get baptized, we have assurance that we are on our way to heaven, that when this flesh body dies, we are right with the Lord. So we see in the Old Testament, circumcision was done on the eighth day. They've done it as soon as possible. In the New Testament, we see with baptism, when you get born again, when you have that repentant heart, that is the time to be baptized. And we go, you know what? We're going all in. We're making, we're going public. We're doing an outward expression of the inward work because we want to live life for Jesus. So we're going to stand and we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that God can just touch us afresh. And so for those of you in the room that have been baptized, I just want us to, to, to just reaffirm our decision to say, Lord, we buried these sins. These sins don't belong in our life anymore. And we're going to put them back in those waters of baptism and believe that we can have the power of God awaken in us afresh to, to see His Spirit move and flow in our lives. So Father, right now, we just thank You that You sent Jesus to die for us. That, that through baptism, that we, that, that as I, we say, those, sin, those sins were nailed to the cross. And through baptism, we buried that flesh nature of our lives. And so Lord, You see every dysfunction in us. Every, every, every need to, to be angry, every need to gossip, every lustful idea. Lord, you see the, the whole gamut of, of issues that we are dealing with. But Lord, we believe that we can see breakthrough, that those things would be buried and dead, that we can see just as the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Lord, we can see the bubbling up of those fruits within our lives because that's the real us. Because greater is you in us than than he that's in the world. And Lord, we just thank you that we're no longer slaves to our sin, but we've buried that, we've hidden that, and we can live in the victory and the promises that you have for us. And Lord, right now, we just thank you for our, our friends in this room today that have are making that decision to go, you know what, we're going to go public with our repentance and we want to get baptized. Lord, we just believe that we'll be able to see your power touch them in, in a powerful way, that they wouldn't just be going through waters of baptism in a religious ceremony, but they would be burying their, their flesh and coming alive to the Spirit of God as you promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.